time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. This is the show Re-Engineering Your Finances, the podcast that helps you get a little smarter when it comes to the financial world. And we're here with Charles Weldy, founder of CP Weldy Group. I'm Walter Storholt. Charles serves you throughout Delaware and Chester County areas with an office in Chadsford, Pennsylvania. You can find us online by going to cpweldygroup.com. Subscribe to the show on your favorite app and listen to past episodes there on the site as well. Charles, you ready for another great show today? I'm always ready, Walter. <laughs> I don't even have to ask that question. You're always 100% <laughs> ready to lock and load and rock and roll on this show. Well, if you clicked on today's show, you likely saw the headline, something about financial crosswords. And not sure you're right, um, or maybe you think you're right, but you're not actually right. What we're getting at with that headline is that, Charles, you ever do a crossword puzzle and you just you have that one response that you just immediately know the answer to and you write it down. And then the rest of the puzzle, you really struggle to find all the answers to. And it turns out because what you thought was, you know, a certain answer on 17 across, actually it was the wrong thing. And, and now all of your other answers are thrown off because of it. That's happened more than once, Walter, more than once. <laughs> That's why you, you only put down the sure things first and then come back and make your guesses, right? Uh, Absolutely. We see the same thing happen, really, if you take that, that idea and that concept. We see the same thing happen in retirement planning where somebody probably walks into Charles' office and they are absolutely certain about a particular financial planning element. And then it turns out as they go through the planning process, oops, you've really made a mess of the plan because that one thing you were sure of was way off base. You actually didn't have the right answer that you thought you did. So I was hoping, Charles, we could get some stories from you today and have a conversation a little bit about some of the ways that you've seen this manifest itself and play itself out in your office with folks who thought they were right, but really they were not. Uh, let's start with one of the areas that we always dive into here on the show, and that's income planning and determining how much income you're going to need in retirement. Any good stories to share there from when somebody came in and was way off base? Well, I mean, a lot of people, that they don't realize that's the most important number of a financial plan is how much do you need to, you know, on a monthly basis. I mean, most people, yeah, they might have an idea, but a lot of people are clueless. So um, what we do is we try to like, you know, help them determine what their budget is without making a budget up. And how we do that, Walter, is... You know, most people get like uh, automatic payroll uh, sent to their you know, checking account each and every month. So we'll ask them like, hey, what's your net pay check each and every month? How many times per month do you get paid? And then basically we know what's going into their checking account each and every month. That's step one. Once we know that, we ask them, hey, are you uh, adding to your savings? Or are you taking money out of your checking after the you know X amount of dollars is left over? We're trying to figure out whether they're spending their whole paycheck or spending more than their whole paycheck. And generally speaking, most people don't have a handle on what they're spending. So, you know, I would say that maybe like for the sake of tying this together, maybe we should go through a story of a real life client that came into my office and basically um, had an idea of what she had and what she needed to spend. But based upon our planning process, things changed and we're reallocated and repositioned. Would that be something to, to maybe talk about, Walter? Let's do it. I like the idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, you know, in this case, we found out that the woman needed like $6,000 a month. And that was uh, before income taxes. Her tax bill may have been like $4,000 a year. So here's a woman that said, Charles, you know, uh, I have a, a million dollars. I need $6,000 a month. 
I'm getting a social security of $3,000 a month. Uh, I got an inherited IRA of $500 a month. So we determined that our income gap was $2,500 a month, right? So you follow that, you need six. She had 3,000 coming in from social security, 500 coming in from an inherited IRA. The income gap each and every month upon retirement was 2,500. However, right, she's only like 65 years old. Her life expectancy is another like 25 to 30 years. She's gonna need a lot more than $2,500 a month accounting for inflation. So what we did is we took her million dollars, we allocated what, $2,500 a month times 12 months times 10 years, which equals, uh, let me see if I got my math right, that is $300,000, right? So we took $300,000 of her million dollars and we put it in a spend down fund where she's gonna spend that money over the next 10 years you know, no, no inflation's in there yet, but she's going to spend that over the next 10 years. And then in 10 years, that principal's going to be gone. Do you follow that so far, Walter? Makes sense. Yep. All right. But we had to add some inflation. So we took 25% of 300 grand, $150,000, and we added that to the $300,000. And now the woman who had an income need of $6,000 a month, we put $450,000 of a million dollars in an income account that she's gonna spend down and at 3% inflation and 3% rate of return, although it doesn't sound that high, I mean, it's reasonable, that money's gonna last 12 years. Then what we did is we took her remaining $550,000 and we put it in a growth account. And the growth account basically was made up primarily of stocks. So here's a woman who retired at age 65, had a million dollars and we've got roughly initially 550,000 in stocks and $450,000 in fixed income. However, when we did a plan for her, we realized, and she mentioned to us, she said, Charles, I bought this long-term care policy maybe 18 years ago. It was $1,500 a year. And now it's actually $4,000 a year. And every year the premium goes up and I'm not so sure what it's gonna be 15 years from now, if I really need long-term care, uh, is there a solution for that? And obviously I got my thinking cap on and I, you know, there's different types of policies today, Walter, where, you know, she can continue to pay that $4,000 a year for the next 25, 30 years. But if she doesn't need long-term care, you know, my, my feeling is that she just wasted a hundred to $120,000. That's not a good feeling. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not a good feeling. So, and, and I must say that what I did is I said, look, why don't we take some of your $550,000 that's in that growth bucket and maybe peel off $120,000 of that and put it into an insurance policy that will give you a death benefit of $400,000. So we took, again, $120,000 out of a $550,000 bucket. We created a $400,000 death benefit, but we also created a long-term care benefit of $8,000 a month for up to four years. And really what we did is we just took an expense that she was paying of $4,000 a year and we got rid of that. And then we just carved out a portion of her later bucket, her asset bucket or growth bucket. And we protected her whole estate by funding that insurance policy to provide for a long-term care benefit if need be. But if she doesn't need it, guess what? Upon her demise, 
somebody's going to get $400,000. So to me, that's the beauty of a plan is how much do you need? Where's the money coming from? When will it be needed? The money that's not needed currently, can we reposition it to actually provide a benefit in the future that may be needed? And if it's not needed, can we perhaps convert an unnecessary expense into a definite asset? It's so nice to be able to have that kind of flexibility created by uh, just reallocating funds. And it's a great example. I think Charles was somebody who thought they needed a certain amount of income in retirement, ended up not being the case. And you're able to get them back on the right track and starts to uh, really get things in the right direction. So that's a great story. Hopefully we can get a few more like that. What, what about another scenario, another area where people think they're right or think they have the right answer, but maybe they don't? I would imagine, because we've talked about it on the show, uh, I think, you know, several episodes ago, we talked a little bit about risk and how a lot of people don't exactly know how much risk they're taking or they think that they're more risk averse than they truly are. But what about taking the proper amount of risk? Do you see people kind of out of whack there? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think, you know, we, get, we really have to define what risk is. I mean, to me, risk is defined as running out of money, all right? And basically, there's people that I meet that haven't saved enough and they have longevity in their family and they really need to take more risk, which means they have to put more, a greater portion of their current nest egg in stocks in order to avoid running out of money in the future. There's a saying, there's a guy in New York by the name of Nick Murray, and I love his saying. He says, hey, there's no such thing as no risk. Uh, you're either going to take no risk on the short end and invest in fixed income and run out of money in the long term. Or you're going to take uh, a lot of risk in the short term, investing in like high volatile stocks and have less risk in the long term. So that's the beauty of planning is that you meet all kinds of people, people that have more money than they'll ever need. Well, maybe they don't have to take much risk. And you have people that really don't have that much money, but maybe definitely afraid of the ups and downs of the stock market, but they need to take that risk. Plenty of stories about people who don't know the risks that they're taking or don't know the level of risk that they need to take in order to get to where they want to go. So, uh, yeah, I have a lot of elderly clients that, yeah, they're well positioned, so they really don't need to take a lot of risk. So I don't mind that they don't have a balanced portfolio, 50% stock, 50% fixed income, because they just don't want the emotional distress that comes with being in the stock market because they've already made it. And they might have other plans for wealth transfer to their kids. So uh, I think that's the beauty of financial planning is each individual is pretty unique. And, um, you know, the risk is really based upon, you know, are you going to outlive your money or is the money going to outlive you? And if you're fairly certain that you're going to outlive your money, obviously you can take less risk with your investments. So important to think about all these different moving parts. And risk is a big piece of the conversation there, Charles. How about another example here? What about determining whether or not to have life insurance? And if so, how much? Do people usually have a good grasp of that? Or do folks often come in with assumptions that end up being wrong? Yeah, I think most of us are skeptics about life insurance. I mean, um, even like myself, I'm fairly educated. And, uh, you know, many for many years, I mean, I, I've always had life insurance, but I was always skeptical about it. Like, um, I just never really understood you know, how the interest was credited, how the expenses were made up. It seemed like it was a big black box that nobody knew what was going on. But I met a gentleman a year ago in Kentucky by the name of Martin Ruby. And uh, this guy's an actuary. 
And he actually wrote a book, and um, I'll mention the book. It's called The No Compromise Retirement Plan. Basically, he wrote the book as showing people that, hey, it might be more advantageous instead of putting all your money into a tax-free Roth IRA to consider putting a portion of it into a tax-free life insurance policy. And um, I heard about him through you know, colleagues of mine, and I spent a day in Kentucky with him at a maybe an eight-hour workshop, and I came back much of a less skeptic, but more pro-life insurance than I've ever been in my entire life. So I would say that if people would look at life insurance as an asset class, I mean, we have cash, we have stocks, we have bonds, but life insurance is an asset class. And if it's like structured properly and funded properly, it can be a very good resource for many people, not only as an income piece, but it could be a long-term care benefit, or it could be a nice tax-free wealth transfer to the kids and or grandkids. That's another good example, I think, Charles. All right, what about long-term care expenses? You touched a little bit about that in your story a little bit earlier on and how you problem-solved for that, but I'm thinking we could probably throw that into this conversation as well. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about me. You know, I bought long-term care, my, my wife and I, maybe 12 years ago. And uh, in 12 years, it's gone up 110%. Mm. So I'm in my mid-60s, and I'm saying to myself, what's it going to be you know, when I'm in my 80s, uh, what's the premium going to be? So uh, just like the client that came in recently that had that long-term care expense, I'm looking at my wife and myself, and I'm actually considering redoing our long-term care planning to buy a permanent policy that might act as a Swiss army knife, where if we needed income and it's designed properly, we can get some income from it tax-free. And if we need long-term care, it's available to us on a tax-free basis. Again, long-term care, you know, that's probably the leak in the dike for many people's personal financial plan. I find out that everybody really wants it, but uh, nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to pay for it. And now what we do, Walter, when we do plans, we have a binder that we deliver to each and every financial planning client. We have a long-term care portion in that binder where we discuss long-term care with the potential client or the prospect. And if they choose that, you know, hey, you know what, we're going to you know, think about it or we're not going to implement anything at the current time, we had them sign off that we addressed it with them and they made a decision that they weren't going to follow through with it. And the reason being is that you know, whether you double or triple your money, if it all goes to a nursing home facility or the federal government, whoever that planner was, he or she didn't do their job. And I think they're off. They're uh, opening themselves up to a potential lawsuit from children, you know, uh, of these particular clients. Hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, it'd be interesting to watch over the next several years to see with you know more and more baby boomers retiring, and then as baby boomers get older and these issues start to pop up more, uh, if that's indeed going to happen more often and, and be kind of something that that'll make for a lot of news headlines. I think when when those things start happening, if that's the case. So that's an interesting little tidbit there. Keep my name out of it. You know that's I mean? right. That's right. Exactly. Uh, what about planning for taxes in retirement? That's got to be an area where there's some misconceptions or where people think for sure they're going to pay less in taxes in retirement. Maybe that's kind of been the old standby way of thinking, right? Yeah, it is. But, you know, I mean, we have like a, a tax practice here at the CP Wealthy Group. We do about 500 tax returns. So I, I've been in the tax business all my life in terms of uh, tax planning. And I never thought that 
in retirement, taxes would be higher than they were when people worked. But by and large, you know, because of the baby boomers getting ready to retire and the Medicare being underfunded and the Social Security being underfunded, there's no doubt that taxes are going to rise in the future. And I would say that anybody listening to this podcast, when you retire, for the most part, you know, the majority of us are going to be paying 25 percent on whatever we take out of our retirement account, 25 percent. So that means that if you need one hundred and thirty three dollars, you got to get thirty three dollars, which is twenty five percent of one thirty three is thirty three dollars to the Internal Revenue Service to end up with one hundred dollars for yourself. And, you know, the importance of tax planning in retirement is that you each and every year can move money from a tax infested account to a tax free account. Yeah, you'll pay the 25%, as I mentioned earlier, but guess what? Once it's moved to that tax-free account, all the future growth now is tax-free. So when you quantify it, it's like several hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax savings, depending upon the size of your you know, uh, pre-tax account and your age, but people are missing the boat. They're actually just looking at income and they're not looking at after-tax income. So taxes, planning for taxes in retirement is probably one of the most important things that people can do. And the sooner, the better, because what keeps me up at night, Walter, we talked on an earlier podcast about those 50-year-olds. When I see these 50-year-olds putting $25,000 a year into their retirement account, and you know most of them are married and their spouses are currently working and they're putting in the same amount, it doesn't like bother me what it's worth today. What keeps me up at night is, wow, if it grows at 6% a year, what's that going to be worth when they're 72 years old and now they're forced to take the money out and what's the tax rate going to be then? So uh, tax planning in retirement and tax planning prior to retirement are really like, um, you know, is really a passion of mine. And I really encourage people listening to the podcast to make sure that um, when they look at income planning, whether it's pre or post retirement, to really look at what the after tax effect is, because most people kind of ignore that tax planning aspect of retirement income planning. Taxes, taxes, taxes. So important to look at that and look at it in depth as well, not just, uh, you know, take a cursory glance, but uh, making sure that you're putting a lot of time and energy and effort into it uh, as well. Last but not least, Charles, one more example here of where somebody walks into your office and they think they're doing it right, but it turns out they're not. How about determining how much you can realistically withdraw from your savings? That gets back to kind of like that 4% rule? Yeah, 4% rule, I would say like for people that are under 70, right? And again, the reason being, if you're 70 years old, the 4% rule says, hey, your money should last 25 years. Once you get in your 70s, eh, I might bump it up to 5%. Why? Because that's 20 years. So 70 plus 20 is 90. When you're in your 80s, it could be, uh, I'm just thinking out loud, 6 or 7%, all right? Because basically you might have 15, 20 more years left at, at the most. So again, the older you are, the more you can take out as a general rule. But the key is that you really should have different buckets of money, one bucket for income, one bucket for growth. And then systematically, as that income bucket's being depleted, you should replenish it with the growth dollars, the growth bucket. And that's really an art and a science. And you know that's what I love about financial planning. There's no right answer for everyone. It really depends on A, the size of their nest egg, B, you know, what they're spending, 
and see where those assets are located, you know, because again, if they're all located in a taxable account or a tax deferred account, you're pulling it out. You might only get to spend 75 cents of every dollar that you pull out. Whereas if we did some planning earlier and it's in a tax free account, we can just take, you know, X amount of dollars out, and not give Uncle Sam a nickel. And that's kind of like the gist of my practice is how can I get people to be aware of their future unfunded tax burden and how can we possibly chip away at it and maybe even eliminate it over the next like several years. Well, and if you need any help with what we've talked about today, let it be a reminder that you can get assistance on all these different things, whether it be creating an income plan or looking at your risk appropriate levels, you know, what you're comfortable with, but also what makes sense financially for you, whether it's taxes or long-term care expenses. These are all things that Charles helps clients figure out and put in writing into a plan so that you can be more comfortable with your financial future and your retirement situation. If you haven't put together a plan like that before, or if you've got any questions about what we've talked about on the show today, don't hesitate to reach out to Charles. Again, the number is 610-388-7705 to get in touch. That's 610-388-7705. You can also reach us online by going to cpweldygroup.com. That's cpweldygroup.com. And we'll put links and information that you need to get in touch in the description or in the show notes of today's episode. So no matter how you're listening, you can find the information that you need. Just look in the description or show notes area of whatever app you're using to listen. Well, Charles, thanks for the help on today's show. Looking forward to our next conversation, and we'll do that again soon. Thank you, Walter. Appreciate it. Take care. That's Charles Weldy. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for listening to the show. We'll talk to you next time on Reengineering Your Finances. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.